If you would, please join me in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. We'll read verses 4 through 9. I'm actually glad to see a clock up here. (laughs) In the Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London, they actually have a digital clock in the pulpit that Dr. Peter Masters uses. He, He is a very prompt man. He takes after Spurgeon, who was also a very prompt man. And they even have the old pulpit that Spurgeon used, and it had a dial clock, an old analog clock. And they say it was broken at 40 minutes after the hour. And they asked Dr. Masters if he wanted them to fix the clock. So it ran again, and he said, no, I think that's a fitting place for it to be stopped. Because those men believed in preaching between 30 and 50 minutes and saying what you had to say in the time that was given. So starting in verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and compassed the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us out up out of the, Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. For our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people much. And people, uh, much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. And set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if any serpent that had bitten any man, when he beheld it, the serpent of brass, he lived. And I'll begin in prayer before we get started. O God, our most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you this Sabbath. Lord, we do give you thanks for allowing us to meet publicly together. Lord, for we are many, we are aware of in many places in your world that our dear brethren meet in secret and in hiding. Lord, we pray that you would be with them as they meet today on your Sabbath. And would you be with us? Would you refresh our minds and feed us in our spirit from your word? May your divine spirit fall down upon us. May it rekindle that fire that once burned in us after conversion. May it kindle a fire in those whom do not call upon you this day. May they see that they need this brass serpent. May you give us hope in the way as it gets when it becomes into the wilderness and we are traveling unto the promised land. Would we not lose hope, but look ever upon you. And we do pray this in the name of our Savior and for his sake. Amen. And so today, I'm not primarily going to focus on the brass serpent, even though that is a wonderful part of this text. Uh, Spurgeon himself preached several uh, gospel sermons from it. You you can read them. They're in print. And they're wonderful sermons. I've heard many from this with the brass serpent, the the raising it up for their salvation. What I mainly want to focus on today is, is their journey, is what was going on in the nation of Israel during this time period. For we find very many similarities between us and that nation in their path. Um, We 
could not, uh, I mean, there's no, no reason not to think that we don't travel a journey in this life. We, are, we have a start, we have a middle, and we have an end. Even carnal men have, have those things in their lives. They start with birth, and then there's, you know, when we reach the prime, and then it, it goes down into, the, into our death when we put this body back in the ground. As Christians, we are not promised an easy and comfortable walk in this life. Often in this life, we are met with pain, sickness, death, loss, lack of resources, disappointments, and persecution. That is just par the course for us. Now, of course, if we are believers, we have a great resource in our Lord Jesus Christ because He gives us hope and He He's there with us as we go about this walk. He does not leave nor forsake us. When we meet with these in our way, they cause us to become discouraged. The nation of Israel had met with several discouragements in a short period of time, thus causing them to grow weary. And I'm sure many of you have felt this in your own walk. The burdens of life. Those providences that the Lord puts in upon our lives. Now would it that be to God that we would never gripe or murmur, but we'd always be content with the lot that God has given us, but unfortunately we are still in these frail fleshly bodies. And sometimes we do murmur. We find that with the nation of Israel. They, we must not act like this because that's what they did. And we find that right here in verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread. And that statement is a bold lie. Because he was feeding them with manna. And he even fed them with quails when they got tired of the manna. And continuing on in that verse. There is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And what a day it is when the people of God loatheth the Word of God. And that's essentially what they're doing here. Does not Christ say, I, I am the bread of life? I was that manna that, that, that fed your fathers in the wilderness? And they are saying they loathe it. There are considerations that we can make that will keep us from sinning against God. The Lord knows our frames and how frail the flesh is, but He also gives us ways to avoid that temptation. He gives us a way to run and turn from it. He will not leave us helpless in our time of need. Let, let us look for these helps so that we can take advantage of these helps when we need them. Now, we'll look here. At the first of verse 4, and they journeyed. Now who are on the journey? The they there is the children of Israel, the nation, the one that God miraculously brought up out of the nation of Israel, or uh, excuse me, out of the nation of Egypt and led through the wilderness. Uh, in Hebrew, the they is the people. It's a nation of people. A people is a congregated unit, specifically a tribe, as that of Israel. It's a, it's a whole uh, unit of people that have commonality. Coming to the end of the 40 years of wandering, that's where they're at. 
They had sinned. They had went up, sent spies into the, into the Canaan. Those 12 spies came back, and I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Ten of them said, we can't go in. They're giants in the land. It's flowing with milk and honey, but we can't take the land. And of course, there were two that said otherwise. That was Caleb and Joshua. So now this generation that sinned is now gone, except for Caleb and Joshua. And what else do we notice about this nation, this people? Well, they're chosen of God. Uh, Exodus 6, 7, I have it in my notes. You don't want to turn there if you don't want to. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. They were his people. We are his people today. If we have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have been sprinkled with his blood, we are his. We are a part of this uh, universal church, this, this uh, grouping of saints that go forward. And of course, our commonality is that we call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we share his spirit. This is to be a separated nation. He called them out of Egypt. He didn't leave them in Egypt. He redeemed them. Later at Dominion, I'll be preaching from Isaiah chapter 43. And in that, that second half of Isaiah, 40, uh, 40 cha- chapter 40 through 66, that is dealing with the captivity in Babylon. And of course, God's promises to redeem them out of that captivity. And it's a very similar case. He goes in and redeems them from this captivity, but he doesn't expect them to stay in and among the Babylonians or the Egyptians. They are to leave. And so he does the same for us. He calls us out of the world. And it's amazing at how when he calls us out and redeems us from the world, how the world takes on the form of a wilderness. Just like what we find in their journeys. Symbolic of our own salvation this is. Egypt equals bondage of sin, same as Babylon and in, in Isaiah and some of those other prophets. And then the Exodus equals redemption from the bondage of sin. It is His power breaking that and freeing us from it. Those who have been covered by the blood of the Lamb of God are members of this nation, as I said. This is how we know it. Now, of course, all men are sinners. All men need to be covered by this blood. Not to get political, but God's uh, immigration policy is very narrow. Are you today a member of this nation? Do you, are you covered with His blood? Do you claim Him as your Lord and Savior? And that's the important thing also, to be the Lord and Savior. Not just the Savior but the Lord also, the King. If you have been covered by the blood of Christ, you are now a citizen of this nation. And that's essentially what it is. It's a changing of citizenship between the the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so He brings us into that kingdom. If we are a member of this nation, then the journey we are uh, on is temporary. We all can fight, can 
Agree to that? Even carnal men recognize that. We're not here for eternity. We're not here in this body, even though carnal men typically will try to stemmy that. They'll try to do all they can in health and fitness and all those things to keep the end from coming. But that isn't the case. It will come when the Lord has dictated it to. Just like the nation of Israel, their travels in the wilderness are temporary and there will be eventually reaching the promised land. Now, the next word is journeyed in verse 4. So we dealt with who is on the journey, but what, what are they doing? Well, they're journeying. And in Hebrew, this word means properly to pull up, especially the, uh, the tent pens. That is the start of a journey. That means they're, they're breaking down camp and moving. And so that is, means there is a temporary, temporariness, as I said, to this journey and that, that they are on. They are not at the end of the journey, yet they come to Mount Hor. That's where they're at. Mount Hor is in southern, uh, the southern part there, south of the Dead Sea. They stop there because they, they have a loss of one of the leadership there, which is Aaron. Aaron dies and then is taken up to Mount Hor. And this is located at Edom's western border. Now, of course, if you know your biblical history, Edom is, was Jacob's brother, Esau, the people from Esau. So there is a, a, a family, almost a family reunion here. They wanted to pass through the Edomites' land, but Edom said no. Um, let us turn to uh, Numbers 20, and I'll read verses 14 through 21. Just one, one chapter over. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us. How our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. Behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards. Neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right nor the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with, a, with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway. And if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only without doing anything else go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through the border. Wherefore Israel turned away from him. And so, not much brotherly love there between the two brothers, the peoples of the two brothers. And then if they had been able to cut through Edom, it would have cut their path short. It was almost a shortcut because they would have cut through Edom and then started the, the journey up north to go north of the Dead Sea cross over where they crossed there east of Jericho. 
So it would have cut a considerable amount of their travels out. But unfortunately, that was not the Lord's intent. Now they're heading southwest back down toward the Red Sea. So they're on this journey. The terrain is tough. They're, They're in the wilderness. There's food and water, lack of food and water. And they're now having the journey again. After a scalding uh, denial by the Edomites. This parallels our own journey in the world. They traveled from place to place until they entered the promised land. And this is us as we travel on until we reach glory. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And that's over in Hebrews eleven thirteen. We are on our way to a glorious city that has not been made with hands. Their promised land was the physical promised land, but ours is, of course, that eternal. Now, back in our text, we will look here. And the people and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. That last little part of verse 4, and this tells us their condition currently. The Israelites' journey was starting to become a burden to them. There were several events took place in the close sequence that have caused the Israelites to become discouraged. And we saw that. The death of a great leader. Uh, the refusal of the Edomites. And now they're traveling almost like they're going back down to Egypt, back to the Red Sea. And they're going to have to go all the way around the horn of Edom to go back north again. And of course they were discouraged. I don't know that I would have been in that congregation and wouldn't have been discouraged myself. Such circumstances can cause us discouragement also. Now, who makes the path discouraging? Or uh, what makes the path, excuse me, not who. What makes the path discouraging? And we have three, I've got three items here. There are enemies. In the wilderness, they were traversing this this land, being guided by God. Well, there were still different kingdoms and uh, landowners and things that they had to go in and around. And sometimes we see them clashing with those. If we look at uh, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 21, we find one of those. And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of spies... Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the place, the name of the place, Hormah. And so they, they were just on the way trying to get to their promised land the land of Canaan, and they already have conflict with one of the kings, and they had to go out to battle. And then later in this chapter of chapter 21, we see them going to battle against kings Og and Sihon and destroying their armies. And so this was not a peaceful walk in the park. This was not like a Sunday stroll on a safe street. There were men and enemies that were in that way. And we face the same thing for our Christian confession. There are men 
who will vehemently hate you for your profession, you're not even bothering them. <laughs> you're not even persecuting them. And we see that in this country and many of the countries around the world. All you have to do is have a public profession. And they don't like it. They don't want it. <clears throat> because they're reminded that there is an eternal king. And there will be a judgment. And they will have to one day account for their sin. Our enemies in this life are Satan, sin, and the world. And we face those on a regular basis. When we become Christians, the Lord does not just say, Great, you can have a peaceful walk until you die. That's not the case. Or it would be nice for it to be the case. It would be nice to have peace continually, but no, the Lord uses these things to hone us and chisel us and continue our sanctification and draw us closer to us, uh, uh, closer to Him and thus cutting off the reliance upon the world. It's like those stones that were used in the day of Solomon for the building of the great temple. They didn't take those stones and then take them down to the temple building site and chisel them down. They chiseled them before they took them down to the temple. There was no sound of hammering and chisels while they were building the temple on site. Often besieges us while we are... Uh, Satan often besieges us while we're on the king's highway. As we are traveling. If you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, that is a theme that's uh, put there by John Bunyan with his battle of Apollyon. He has the armor of God on. And he says he can't turn and flee because as soon as he turns and flees, his back is unprotected. He has to face the enemy head on. And these attacks inflame us to the want to quit the course. And I, and I would hope that we would all admit that. Sometimes we just want to give up. Sometimes it gets so heavy upon us that we wish not to continue on the way. And another lesson we can learn from this is that these enemies are real. They had to go to battle. They had to go retrieve those who had been taken by the Canaanite king. And so these enemies are very real. I know our society today makes light of Satan. It's like a cartoon figure, some little thing that pops up on your shoulder and talks to you. But Satan is very real and he is very dangerous. And we must always remind ourselves of these things because the flesh still bears a little of the old man. Now, the second one is they had to compass the land. They had to go back around the land of Edom to head north. This just increased their journey. It was longer now. <clears throat> and all they wanted to do was take the shortcut through and head up, head north to get there. And how stinging was this denial of entry. And how sometimes if you go to a family member... And you ask for help, and they just write you off. It hurts. It stings. And we see even in that, in that account over in uh, chapter 20 that Moses even appeals to that. He appeals to the, the family connection. But they still would not have anything to do with it. 
And so they felt as if they were backtracking, going back the way they came. We also meet with long tracks in our own spiritual walk. Sometimes the Lord, we might look and see, well, that's the shortcut. That's the easy way. Surely the Lord will take us that way. And now the Lord takes us the long way, the difficult way. And it leads to disappointment in our souls. And we grow weary. Now, number three, there is the wilderness terrain. It is a very hard terrain. It is not very easy. They did not have easy path. There was a lot of people in this congregation. There was children and flocks, and I'm sure it took a long time. As was talked about earlier with the Red Sea, there had to be a wide path to allow all the people to pass through. It is the wilderness where the terrain is dry and rocky. There is, of course, limited resources of food and water. And how quickly they forgot the provisions of the Lord. They had seen Moses strike the rock and bring water out of it at God's command. They had been partaking of the, of the, the light bread, the manna, each and every day. And yet, they forget these things when they grew weary. And it's often the case with us, dear friends. Do we not? Those, those things come in and they pile upon us and pile upon us. And sometimes we forget the goodness of God. Sometimes we forget what He's done in the past. That's why it is important to continually read our Bible and read different parts of it. Because the Old Testament is recorded. Of course, it is symbolically looking forward to the Messiah of Christ, Messiahship of Christ. But it is also historical narrative because it shows what God has done in the life of that nation. And it reminds us that He is still the same and can do these things just as He did then. And so it encourages us and gives us strength when the way gets rough. These are not comfortable traveling conditions. Our own travels are often met with difficult terrain, sickness, lack of resources. There are often times there's not enough money at the end of the month. Like that poor widow that Elijah went to she was making the last of the bread before they were to curl up and die of hunger. But then there was a miracle of God. It is easy to see how quickly the nation of Israel became discouraged because of the way. They become weighed down with all of these weighty matters. Are you currently experiencing discouragements in your own walk through the wilderness? Maybe there are some here who are experiencing these things. We are not alone in experiencing tribulations in this life. That's what I was saying about reading the Scriptures. These dear ones throughout the Scriptures, even in the New Testament, are all, they share our burdens. Even when we are burdened, there is always somebody that's went through the same thing somewhere. And so we must look to God for our comfort. How do you respond when discouraged by the track through the wilderness? And of course, we see the wrong response here. Israel murmured. They contended with Moses and with God. And we see that often in the Old Testament account in the wilderness. They often grumbled. It wasn't long after they had come out and was in the wilderness that what? They 
they would have rather went back to Egypt to be slaves just to eat of the cucumbers. They were willing to give up their liberation for cucumbers. In our narrative, uh, I mean, we, this is not the correct response because we see what? God punishes them. He sends the fiery serpents and they start to bite the people. So what is the correct response? What, what do we, how do we respond with enemies in a long path and a long journey through hard terrain? What are we to do with these? When the discouragements begin to weigh in our souls. Dear friends, let me give you three reflections that you can meditate on during discouragements. Meditating on these will, bear, uh, will help us bear with patience any discouragements in the way. Now first, this is a chosen path. This is God's chosen path. This was chosen before the foundations of the world in His providence. We do not just live in this world haphazardly with no, uh, no direction, no, <clears throat> no way to, to journey through this life. It's all been laid out and dictated by the great God Almighty, the creator of the universe. And He has decided it in His infinite wisdom. He is the wisest of all beings. Why would we not trust Him with our lives and with the provision of those lives? What about the election and the calling of His saints? Is that not due to His wisdom? Martin Luther said, uh, when it comes to predestination, he said, why would you not want God to choose? If He's the wisest of beings, why not? The problem is men want to be able to choose. Who is saved and who isn't? Can we not place our trust in the wisest being who has designed this path in which we walk? Yes, we can. Let us. When times do get tough, let us be remembered, or let us remember and be refreshed in mind that He has chosen this path and we are to walk on it. The second is God is with us, He didn't just liberate them and then take them out. No, He's their King. He has determined these things. He is very much involved in their lives. He is not like earthly kings who don't have any connection to the, to the common people or as politicians that we have in this country. They don't have any idea how the common folk live. He is not like that. He is a personal God. He is a personal leader. But they forgot this in their discouragement. And what a trying place it would be to be in the middle of an arid wilderness where all you look across as you look across the horizon is the same direction. It looks the same. Just like on the ocean. When you're out in the middle of the ocean and you're not, there's no land, it's hard to navigate. You don't know which way to go. And so He led them. He was leading them to where He had promised for them to go, which is the promised land. Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. The church is his special possession, and he will not leave nor forsake it. Joshua 1 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And what comforting words! 
the eternal, all-powerful God, the one who spoke and all that we see came into existence and he's for us. When we put our hope in men, what do we see? We might have good friends or good family members and yes, they mean well and they want to help us, but they fail sometimes or they're not available or they can't just at that moment. God is not ever resource restricted. And for being with us, what, how is He with us today? He sent His Holy Spirit to be with us. All who are believers have this Holy Spirit that is with us and He guides us as we go. He, he interprets the Scriptures for our hearts and He shows us the hidden things of God. Now the third and final, there is no other way. God has plans for the nation of Israel and they are to enter at the eastern border there at at the Jordan where Jericho is. That was where they were to enter. They could not pick whatever path they wanted. They tried that. (laughs) And the Lord punished them for 40 years. The eternal promised land can only be obtained in Christ. This is what it is for us. There is only one door to the sheepfold, and it's Christ. The straight and narrow. And be few that find it, few that, that are obtain that. The Scriptures direct us to Christ, for it says that He is the way and the truth and the life. Men like to believe that there are all these other paths to heaven. I call it the Oprah religion. Everybody's on the same path. We're just taking different paths to get to the same place. No, that's not what this Word says. It's not what the Word of God says. The straight and narrow path is a different path from the open highway. These two paths do not run together. They are two totally separate paths. And we are on our way to Zion, the heavenly city. And this city, of course, was not made with hands. And what a glorious city it will be to finally enter into the true promised land to be in His presence. The march is not without its troubles. But that's what makes it even sweeter when we get there. The enemies we face will come and and try and knock us off the path. Sometimes our steps will grow heavy. Our path will become narrow and hard to navigate at times and, and we will need a helping hand. Other times it will seem as if we We'll take one step forward and then just to take three or four backwards. But don't lose hope. Look unto our eternal King. Look unto our Savior who in His infinite wisdom placed this path before us. And if you do find your path to be light and unburdensome, thank Him for it. (laughs) That He has given you that path. Because there are many around the world who do not have that same path. And let us pray for those when we come across them. Despite all of this, we must not lose confidence in our Lord. He started a work in us and He will see it through to the end. That's the glorious thing. God has orchestrated this path in which we trod, established it as the only way to our destination, but He does not leave us to walk it alone. We are not left defenseless or without direction. 
May the Lord use this to help us in our times of discouragement. Amen. And I will close in prayer, please. Oh, great God, we do recognize that you are the great Redeemer. You're that Holy One, our Holy One, our Redeemer. Lord, we thank you for redeeming us out of Egypt and and, and the Babylon of this world and bringing us forth into the wilderness to be led by you to that promised land. Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct us. May we always look unto you even in the tough times. May we not forget that you are a caring and compassionate God. May any here who are experiencing these burdens of life, may you bless them and comfort them and cause them to draw closer unto thee. For Lord, we we need you. We, We are needy people ever and always. And we ask that you would bless us in these things and, and refresh us and, and grow us and that we may each and every day become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in the name of our Savior and for his sake. Amen.